Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is so good to be here with you face to face and to have you joining us online this week. It's always wonderful to gather as the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I have felt an acute need to be together with God's people, to pray, to to deal with some of the difficult things, not only with the pandemic with which we've been dealing for quite some time, but just also the, the tears, the, the strife in our country right now. And so as we think about those things and as we come together in the Lord's house, I want us to turn again this week to the day of Pentecost again. We're going to return to Peter's sermon on Pentecost when he announced the comeback of the church. We're still in that comeback phase after this pandemic. And Today we're going to begin in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read through the 41st verse. This is the conclusion of Peter's sermon and the response to it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. This upcoming Friday, June 19th, marks an important date in Texas history. The day is called Juneteenth. On June 19, 1865... More than two years after Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, General Gordon Granger landed at Galveston, Texas, with news that the war had ended and that all those in slavery, all those held in slavery in Texas and the Confederacy were free. Now I want you to note that this is two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation became official on January 1st, 1863. On that day in 1865, those who were held in bondage for generations discovered that they had been set free from slavery. Now that's incredible. That is life-changing, world-changing news. And yet this news was not delivered to the slave community in Texas for two and a half years. For all that time, they continued to live a miserable existence And it's absolutely heartbreaking to think that so many people died in those two years not knowing that they were free. I don't think anybody on that that dock in Galveston that day was expecting this news. No one was expecting it, but on that afternoon, everything 
changed. And I can just imagine what it would have been like to be in Galveston at that dock when General Granger made the announcement. I can imagine the people looking around at each other, slave and free, listening in belief, disbelief, asking one another, well, now what do we do? What do we do now? I mean, what if everyone, upon hearing that kind of news, just went back to business as usual? If the slaves did not embrace their freedom, or the free society did not embrace those slaves as free men and women and tried to keep them in their place, which in many ways is exactly what happened. But what do we do now? When you get that kind of news, what are we going to do? Well, when the apostle Peter rose to speak on the day of Pentecost, his voice loud and riding on the wind, his, his hair on fire, he stood to declare that Jesus Christ was alive. And whether people considered him a prophet or a heretic, they all thought that Jesus was dead. They all thought that he was just another troublemaker who was put down by the system. But then, carried on the rumble of a rushing wind, Peter and the other disciples declared that Jesus Christ was alive and nothing would ever be the same again. And God the Holy Spirit took the words of Scripture and he took Peter's testimony and he pierced the hearts of the people so deeply that the people in the crowd cried out to him. They bellowed a question, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What are we supposed to do when we get news like that? When our world is wrecked and yet you tell us that everything has changed. What can we do? And Peter's answer was this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the people bellowed out, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. Now, we've talked about repentance before. But I guarantee you we've not talked about it enough. Repentance was the first note of the gospel message that Jesus preached. Jesus came onto the scene, and everywhere he went, he proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance means more than just saying, I'm sorry. In the Bible, the word repentance carries two important facets. And the word embraces both. On the one hand, it means to change the way that you think. So it has a psychological meaning, but it also has a very physical meaning too. Because it also means to turn around, to change your direction. If you are walking one way, the word shub in Hebrew means to actually turn around and start walking the other way in the other direction, to change your direction. And what it means theologically is that it means that we turn away from our distractions and our temptations and our idols and we turn toward the living God. And so taking these two facets together, Peter was telling the people that they had to change their minds and they had to change their direction. They had to turn away from the old broken ways and follow Jesus Christ to something better beloved just like peter we have to name this moment for what it is 
We are in a transformational moment. Our world is broken in so many ways. The health crisis, this pandemic, proves that our relationship with creation is broken. The worldwide outrage against racism, injustice, and poverty, manifest by everything from police brutality to rioting to domestic abuse to rampant divorce, prove that our human relationships are fractured. And all of the violence, all of the narcissism, all of the disdain for God's creation and for God's children only goes to prove also our utter contempt for the Lord himself. Whether it comes in the form of pornography or abuse or outright rejection and rebellion against God, our relationship with God is broken as well. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus alive is, is alive and that God is real. We believe that God has the power to make all the difference in our lives, in our world, now and forever. We believe that he loves his creation and that he loves his people and that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives and for this world. And so believing that now, Peter, what are we supposed to do? Peter says, start with repentance. Transformation begins with repentance. But repentance is hard. We live with the habits of denial and defense rather than with repentance. But if we want what God wants for us, and if we want what God wants for one another and for our world, we have to repent. We have to do it. Because of our sinful nature and our fallen and broken world, repentance, though, is not something that comes naturally. Repentance is something that must be learned. Say this with me. Repentance is not natural. Let's do that again. Repentance is not natural. Repentance must be learned. Very good. Repentance is not natural. Repentance must be learned. And at this moment in history, we have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. And let me give you something here to remember. LEARN is an acronym. I am, of course, following my brother, the master of acronyms, Mitchell Moore. And so I, take, I approach this with some humility. But I want to introduce to you this idea of learning repentance. First of all, the L stands for listen. Peter said at the beginning of his sermon, give ear to my words. You know what? I grew up with a lot of advantages. I don't know what it means to be a black man or to go to a bad school or to live in a forgotten neighborhood. I have never feared the police except when I should have been afraid of them because I was doing something wrong. And yet I have friends, people I love deeply, brothers and sisters by the blood of Jesus Christ who have felt all those things. And so right now, in this moment of history, I need to listen. Just this past Monday, Mitchell invited me to be a part of a roundtable discussion that he had organized with several African-American leaders familiar to our church. 
One was Pastor Terrell Jackson, the director of the Faith-Based Institute, pastor of Church in the Street, uh, our, our partner in so many ways, particularly with loaves and fishes. Another was Natalie Hardy of City Reachers, an African-American woman who is a director of Cross, uh, of, excuse me, of Cross Reachers Prayer Ministry here in our city. And the third was Officer Doug Green, who's an African-American police officer with the San Antonio Police Department and serves in the Public Relations Department of SAPD. Here's what I learned in that conversation. Pastor Jackson, that Jackson talked about having been stopped by the police while driving and being afraid for no reason, no good reason, just being pulled over because he was black in the wrong neighborhood. Officer Green talked about resentment and the disdain leveled at him both from whites and from African Americans as a police officer. And Natalie talked about her bewilderment and the pain she felt in watching the video of George Floyd's death, asking, why, oh God, why is this happening again? Their grief is real. Their pain is real. And Peter said, give ear to my words. And one of my favorite expressions is a bit of old country proverbial wisdom. It's something that my grandfathers and my dad and other wise men in my life have all said to me at one time or another. They would say this. They'd say, the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth so that you would listen twice as much as you talk. The Lord gave you two ears and one mouth so that you would listen twice as much as you talk. What does the world need from the church right now? What do our brothers and sisters of color need from us right now, the people of Christ? They need us to listen twice as much as we speak. They need us to take seriously the words of James who said, let every person be quick to speak, uh, quick, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are crying out, give ear to my words. So how are you listening? And who are you listening to? The E of learn stands for educate yourself. Educate yourself. I've always been very proud of my Southern Christian roots. But this past week, Pastor Tom Gibbs, a good friend and pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, just a few blocks from here, shared with me a chilling bit of church history. He shared with me an excerpt from a 19th century catechism that was used in the South for teaching Christianity to slaves. It reads, question, what did God make you for? Answer, to make a crop. Question, what is the meaning of, listen to this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery. Answer, to serve our heavenly father and our earthly master, obey your overseer and not steal anything. It doesn't say anything about being faithful to your husband or your wife. It doesn't say anything about marriage at all. It's all about compliance. Didn't say anything about adultery. Now, by those who know history, examples of this kind of racist heresy 
can be multiplied over and over again. And while such egregious examples are no longer accepted, more subtle racism is just baked into many of our systems, outside and even inside the church. Of course, racism didn't end with the abolition of slavery. Slavery was replaced by segregationist Jim Crow laws, and then even after the Civil Rights Act, by legal segregation and more subtle segregation, from redlining to police brutality to aggressive incarceration in the judicial system. We need to educate ourselves about these issues, about our history and about God's Word. As you'll notice, Peter kept directing the people back to God's Word, to David, to the prophets. We need people who know the world, who know God's Word, and who know the difference. One thing I've learned in the last few days, it's not enough for me to wait for my black friends or my Hispanic friends or my Asian friends to tell me their problems, to make the case to me. At one point this past week, I heard someone say, we can't just keep spoon-feeding you. You have to pick up the spoon for yourself and start feeding yourself and start educating yourself about the situation. I need to pick up the spoon and start feeding myself. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ who claims to love my neighbor, I need to do my homework. And I don't want you to forget that Mitchell gave you a list of books last week that we could all start reading. The A of learn stands for, and you can you take your choice on any of these words, accept, admit, or acknowledge your role and your responsibility. Even though Peter is an apostle of the gospel of grace, he did not let the crowd off the hook for their sin. He said to that crowd, this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I want you to understand something, brothers and sisters. Acts 2 is not just a sermon. It is an arraignment. Peter told the people, you killed Jesus, the Messiah. Not just the Romans, you, us, we did it. And you not only killed Jesus, you were trying to kill everything he stands for. And we are all responsible for it. You know, I am utterly convicted by the words of Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail. You have probably heard this before. But Dr. King wrote this. He said, first, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the con regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is absence of the tension, to a positive peach, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance. 
is much more bewildering than outright rejection. You know, how many times have I consoled myself saying, you know what, I'm not a racist. I'm not a part of the problem. But I have advantages that other people don't have. How have I used those advantages? Have I used my connections? I mean, I have connections that would help other people. I have a platform, a position of influence that others don't have. How have I stewarded those advantages? To help other people? Or just to help myself? To help people without those advantages? Or just for me? We have to accept and acknowledge our role and responsibility in the system. You know, for my own part, watching the video of George Floyd's death, I felt anger and shame. Anger that for nearly nine minutes, three police officers and a crowd of people watched as a man's life was choked out of his body while he was desperately, helplessly pleading for his life. I don't care what got him on that pavement. He was dying. And I thought to myself, why isn't somebody doing something? And then I thought to myself, what if I was there? Would I have done something? Would I have broken ranks? Would I have intervened? Would I have said anything? Or would I have stood there on the sidelines taking a video or have just been a bystander watching him die while he pled for his life? Would I have been like the priest or the Levite in Christ's story of the Good Samaritan who did not want to get involved or was just too busy to take time to help? Would I have done anything? There's no transformation without repentance. And there's no repentance without acknowledgement and admission of our role and our responsibility in sin, whether that's public sin or personal sin. As the Apostle John wrote, and this goes for me and this goes for you too, if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. More than that, he says, if we say that we've not sinned, then we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. We have to accept, acknowledge our responsibility and our role. Fourth, the R stands for remember the promise and the vision. Jesus said, repent, but he also said, excuse me, John said, repent, but he also said, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Peter says, repent, but he also says, remember the promise of God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Admitting and acknowledging our role and responsibility is hard and it is painful and it would be catastrophic if we don't remember the truth of the gospel and the power of grace. Because repentance is not about condemnation. It's about restoration. Jesus told John, his beloved disciple, 
For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In our roundtable discussion on Monday, Natalie Hardy at one point acknowledged that her pain was real, but she said to us, I don't want my white brothers and sisters to feel guilt for what's going on because condemnation is not of Jesus Christ. She said, I want you to know that you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And when she said that, it was as if I heard Christ saying from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Unlike so much of what you are hearing in the media and in the public square, where so much of the media narrative is based on anger and hate and divisiveness, these three spoke from a posture of grace. Rather than speak from a political perspective, they all spoke from the kingdom, kingdom perspective and changed the whole tone of the conversation. We have to remember the promise that this is not how the world is supposed to be and that the kingdom is, uh, of God is at hand and it just has to be grasped. God has not abandoned his people or his creation. Finally, the end of learn, of the learning repentance process comes when we choose a new direction in our acting, in our thinking, and in our speaking. Remember the word repentance means to turn around, to change direction. Remember last year when we talked about those Texas turnarounds on the freeway? Repentance is not just saying you're sorry, it's about making choices. And Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, he's not talking about a generation in the sense of my generation or my kids' generation or my parents' or grandparents' generation. He means the spirit of the age. He means the zeitgeist. He means break the cycle. Get off the treadmill. Get off the merry-go-round. Get off of this cycle of sin and pain and apathy. It doesn't have to be this way. Change directions. We have to choose to repent, and we have to choose to change directions. Which direction are you going to go? What choice are you going to make? The, P the people of Peter's day had a chance to make a choice. The choice was between Jesus and a murderer named Barabbas. And Peter says, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Now, I'm sure there are people who considered Barabbas a patriot, but the Bible remembers him as a violent anarchist, not a revolutionary, but a terrorist. But the people chose him because he's the living incarnation of all of their anger, of all of their frustration, of all their helplessness. He is rage made manifest rather than revolution. He was not a man of justice. He was a man of revenge. And they chose him over Jesus the man of healing, the man of forgiveness, the man of nonviolence, the man of turning the other cheek and loving your enemies, the Son of God and the Prince of Peace. They made the wrong choice. But Peter says, you've got another chance here. Who are you going to choose? Who will you choose in this moment? You know, right now, the protesters who are marching peacefully 
speaking truthfully, even praying vigilantly and faithfully. These are men and women who are walking and, and, and marching and communicating and praying in the way of Jesus. In the same way, people who have decided to listen patiently and thoughtfully and humbly have chosen Jesus. On the other hand, the rioters and the anarchists, the looters and the people ambushing police and burning businesses or brutalizing people with whom they disagree, they are following the way of Barabbas. These Bolsheviks who've set up their own anarchist fiefdom in Seattle have chosen the way of Barabbas. And so too are those who continue to live in denial of the brutality of our system or economic manipulation or authentic racism because the status quo works for them. Like Caiaphas and Pilate, they too have chosen Barabbas over Jesus. We can't have any tolerance for the way of Barabbas, for violence, either from protesters or police. We have to choose a new direction. And repentance requires that we choose the way of Jesus, not Barabbas. The hardest thing in the world is to say, Lord, take my sin. Take my pride. Take my self-righteousness. Take my ignorance. Take my fear. Take my jealousy. Take my violence. Take my racism. Take my prejudice. Take my apathy. Take my self-importance and my illusions of autonomy and my delusions of grandeur. Lord, take my worst and crucify it on the cross with your son, Jesus Christ, and wash me clean by his blood. Beloved, these are the things that are holding us back from the promise of the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ has set before us. But when we learn to surrender our worst to Jesus Christ, when we learn to trust Christ and to trust his promise and repent, Jesus takes our worst and he makes something beautiful out of it. In 1962, in a similar time, in the tumult of the civil rights movement, my teacher and mentor, John Leith, wrote this. He said, We are responsible for the world because it is God's world, because he loves it, and because we are servants of God. When we quarrel with it, with its falsehood, its banality, its selfishness, it is because we love it. We remember the world as God made it, and we hope for the world that which, by God's grace, it may become again. I want to close with these last words of Peter. They come from the next chapter, chapter 3. But I want to leave you with his words. Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You pray with me. Oh Lord, who am I to stand in this pulpit before these people and call for repentance because I am just as broken and sinful 
as anyone sitting here or watching or surrounding us or not even here in this building or in this presence. And so, Lord, I just repent of my own sin and pray that I will learn how to repent because it's hard. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. And yet, Lord, I know that on the other hand, it sets us free. Lord, I pray that you would help us not only to hear your word of repentance, but to hear your word of the kingdom of heaven and know that when we let go of our sin and our superiority, we have a chance to grasp the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.